Extra Daily Planet, extra. Did you ever make anything happen? Anything you couldn't explain? You're a wizard, Harry. I'm a what? The Man of Scream. Dear Mr. Potter, we are pleased to inform you that you have been accepted at Hogwarts School of Witchcraft and Wizardry. In a few moments, you will pass through these doors and join your classmates. Keep an eye on the staircases. They like to change. Good afternoon, class. Welcome to your first flying lesson. Stick your right hand over the broom and say up. Oh, oh, up. Wow. <laughs> Mr. Longbottom, Mr. Longbottom. Mr. Longbottom, exactly where do you think you're going? Do you really have the scar? Wicked. Mr. Potter, our new celebrity. First years should note that the dark forest is strictly forbidden. There's no magics to be used between the classes and the corridors. Petrificus Totalis. The third floor corridor is out of bounds to everyone who does not wish to suffer a most painful death. Throw in the dungeon! Understand this, Harry, because it's very important. Not all wizards are good. I'm going to bed before either of you come up with another clever idea to get us killed. Or worse, expelled. She needs to sort out her priorities. I think it is clear that we can expect great things from you. Hey everybody, welcome to episode 18 of Man of Screen Extra. I am your host, Mike Zumo, and in this episode I'm going to talk about a little bit of fandom that I've been sharing with my daughter over the past uh, couple of years. Basically, since we went to uh, Florida in August of 2016, Haley and I have been kind of getting to know the world of Harry Potter uh, little by little as we've uh, kind of gone through the past, uh, you know, couple of years. And the nice thing is, you know, I've been trying to gauge her interest in certain of the... Uh, geek properties that I'm into, you know. You know, she's she's really not that big into superheroes. You know, she's kind of lukewarm towards Star Wars. You know, and aside from the fact that I am her uh, softball coach for about three months of the year, we really seem to have found this uh, a little bit of a niche here with Harry Potter, and it's uh, really cool to see her fandom develop in that area and, uh, and grow a little bit. I mean, as far as my own history with the character of Harry Potter goes, you know, you know, I mean, one of the things you want to do as a parent is you want to, you want your kids to, uh, you know, be their own people and, you know, develop the fandoms that they're going to develop naturally. But it's always cool when you can look and see that you have uh, one in common, which really wasn't the case so much until probably the past, you know, it started two years ago, but probably more so in the past, you know, seven, eight months to a year is when she's really started to uh, show a great deal of interest in, uh, in Harry Potter. Before I get into uh, Haley's uh, recent uh, Harry Potter fandom, I'm going to talk a little bit about my own history with the character at first. You know, I first became aware of Harry Potter seeing uh, movie posters for Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone back in uh, 2001. At that time, I was senior year in college, so probably about 2000 what I was turning 21 at the time. 
I'm not sure when I became aware of the books, but it was probably some time later in the decade. At the same time that Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone came out in theaters, the Lord of the Rings trilogy was still going strong, and, you know, seeing that the posters for Harry Potter and, you know, a kid with uh, round glasses, you know, kind of struck me that it was probably a kid's movie and something that I wouldn't be interested in. Little did I know. I'm not sure when I reconsidered Harry Potter, but it was probably sometime in the late 2000s with the onset of Facebook, and I started seeing some of my friends, who are all roughly my age, that were reading these books and seeing the movies and really enjoying them. So, as the films started to end their run, I started decided maybe it was time for me to give this Harry Potter character a look. So, for those of you who don't know, and I've shared blessed little about my life on this podcast, there is most of the stuff that I've shared has been relative to my Superman fandom, but I was previously married from 2007 to 2009. Well, 2010 technically, but it ended for all intents and purposes at the end of 2009. So, for all of two years. But, you know, that's not really relevant to this story. Aside to mention that living in a small city in upstate New York at that time, the local video rental store, Movie Gallery, had closed, and that was really my only way I had of seeing new movies. Uh, I'm not sure what I was going to rent that night when I discovered that the store was gone, but for all I know, the first Harry Potter movie could have been what I was going there for. Or at the very least, to see if they had it. And that was when I... I don't want to say that's when I discovered Netflix. I'm pretty sure I was aware of the company. But that's when those little red envelopes came into my life. And, you know, thank God for, you know, on Netflix, you're able to go in and look at your shipping history. Because I believe Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone was one of the, was maybe like the fifth or sixth disc that was sent to me way back in uh, April of 2010. So basically what I did was there was I started pouring through the Harry Potter films and found out that I was enjoying them. You know, I enjoyed the early films less so, you know. The film seemed uh, light and breezy, especially early on. They started, especially the first two, they started getting darker with uh, the third one, The Prisoner of Azkaban, and The Goblet of Fire is still my favorite of uh, the films. So I had watched uh, the first six films. I'd gotten the discs from Netflix, and then Stacy and I had gotten together. Now, and that brings us to about May of 2010. The only Harry Potter film that I saw in theaters was Deathly Hallows Part 2. So somewhere along the line, she and I had watched the first seven together before going to see uh, Deathly Hallows Part 2 in the theater. And then after that, Harry Potter was kind of finished for me. Even though I owned all the movies, it was a long time before I uh, revisited them again. I mean, you know, that's what happens sometimes. You watch something for a great deal of time. You know, I dedicated quite a bit of time to watching the seven Harry Potter. Watching the eight Harry Potter films, sorry. Seven books, eight films. And then after that, you know, it's kind of done. You know, even though I... Even though I own all eight Harry Potter films, I still don't think I've ever actually opened Deathly Hallows Part 2 and watched it. I know I've put the, I opened it up to take the digital copy and put that into my uh, Voodoo account, but I don't believe I've actually ever watched the final Harry Potter film since I saw it in the theaters, which is going to be changing in the near future, because, and I'll talk about this in the uh, next segment, Haley and I have been watching the Harry Potter movies together. I guess for now, I'll take a quick break, play a podcast promo, and then I'll come back and talk a little bit about Haley's a growing interest in uh, Harry Potter. Hang around, folks. This is an imaginary podcast, which may never have happened. The Shortbox Showcase. But then again may have. About a father and daughter. I'm Professor Allen. And I'm Emily. Who came from Ohio and talked about comics. Identity Crisis. Lone Wolf and Cub. Hergé's Tintin. White Tiger. It tells of their rise to glory when the great guests were yet to be booked. 
I didn't know this was going to be the Jimmy Olsen hate podcast. It's always the Jimmy Olsen hate podcast. And the great feats of editing not yet performed. Ultraman, this is Ultra 7, this is Ultraman Jack, and this is Ultraman Taro, and this is Ultraman Leo. And this Ultra- of how they spoke at length. When I read a comic, story comes first and art comes second. Continuity is really the brainchild of nitpicking nerds the world over. Those are our people, Emily. And reviewed in brief tales that explore creatively the bounds of a given character's history. Superman has basically the same relationship with Wonder Woman that he has with Batman. Of brilliant creators before their fall from grace. This is the era where Miller is at the height of his creative and artistic powers. And the ability of strong writing to encapsulate and transcend its time. Flash of Two Earths by Gardner Fox. This is an imaginary podcast. Aren't they all? Shortbox Showcase is part of the Relatively Geeky family of podcasts. Check us out on the web at relativelygeekypodcast.blogspot.com or search in iTunes for Relatively Geeky or Shortbox Showcase. And remember, we're not experts. We're just family. All right, welcome back, folks. Uh, we're going to fast forward about six years, and in that time, I hadn't really thought a lot about Harry Potter. At least not until summer of 2016, when, uh, when as a family, we went down to Orlando, Florida, mostly for Walt Disney World. We took one of the days and left the Disney property and went to Universal Studios. I personally would have rather stayed at Disney, but my mother was also on the trip with us, and she wanted to go to uh, Universal. She liked it the previous times we were down there. Having been to the Universal Studios in California... The one in Florida really doesn't do much for me. I mean, no, it's Quake Ride. That's kind of the whole uh, appeal of going to Universal Studios. So anyway. And, you know, like I had mentioned, after seeing the uh, eighth movie, you know, and enjoying the eighth movie, I might add, but uh, Harry Potter fandom for me was kind of done. You know, I watched all the movies and enjoyed all the movies. Always meant to kind of go back to read the books, but never really had a burning desire to do so. And it was one of those things that just kind of lingered in the, the back of my mind, if at all. But, you know, as the years uh, went by, I knew of the uh, Wizarding World uh, theme parks opening up in the various Universal Studios. And when we went to Universal, and I believe it was a Wednesday or a Thursday of our trip down there, we arrived in Florida on uh, Sunday and left the following Saturday. So Wednesday, I think I plotted out Thursday to go to Universal just kind of based on when the Disney parks had extended hours and stuff like that. But... As we walked through the uh, Wizarding World of Harry Potter, none of us really had much interest in it, but Universal Orlando has two parks, the main Universal Studios Park and the other park, uh, the Islands of Adventures, I think it's called. And the only way to travel between the two parks without leaving and having to go through the uh, security checks again is to travel the Hogwarts Express, which is pretty cool. It was, you know, you're sitting in the uh, dim car and... There's no window, so you can't really see what's outside of you, but the uh, simulated windows kind of shows you uh, Harry Potterish stuff. You hear uh, the kids' voices in the train talking, and you uh, they point things out that are happening, quote-unquote, outside. And, and the little screen kind of shows you silhouettes of uh, what you're supposed to be seeing as the uh, train travels from one Universal Park to the other. So that was Haley's introduction to Harry Potter. She remembered the train, but not a whole lot else. Now, eventually, uh, she came to me one day and said, can we watch Harry Potter? Because we had told her you know, that, that this might be something she was interested in. And she, you know, kind of gave a lukewarm response. But eventually, like I said, she asked to watch Harry Potter. So we started with 
Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone, the uh, the first film. Where else would you start? And, you know, these are long movies, so Haley can't do them all in one sitting. Each movie usually took us about two nights. So we started with uh, the first film, then we did the second, and third, and then we started the fourth. You know, and like I mentioned before, I really enjoyed the films as they progressed, and they got a little bit darker and a little more, a little scarier, and I would, I'll admit that I was concerned with uh, the Dementors that were introduced in uh, The Prisoner of Azkaban. I, Haley doesn't necessarily like scary images, so I was kind of wondering how she'd react to uh, the Dementors. Spoiler warning, she did fine. But however, Haley kind of only made it through uh, half of the fourth film one night, you know, as was usually the case. But just for some reason, it took us a while before she came back to it. So long that when we actually did get back to the fourth film, we started it over just so she would remember. You know, we didn't pause long enough to have to go back to movie one, but we did. And she remembered that we were on the fourth movie, so I did convince her to start the uh, fourth movie over because, you know, it was a few months and I didn't necessarily remember where we had left off. Usually if I know we're coming back to it, I make a note of what chapter it's on, and the next night we kind of go through and finish. I guess in the pause between films, in that long gap between the time we watched the first half of uh, The Goblet of Fire and then stopped... You know, just kind of looking for other things to do. We ch- we checked out the uh, the PlayStation Now service on the PlayStation Four that we have in the living room, and I discovered that it had a lot of the Lego games, and you know, a lot of the Lego games that I've wanted to play over the years, and just didn't have a chance because I didn't own them all. Now here here they all are on a subscription service that I have, and they're right at my fingertips whenever I want them, which was pretty cool. So there are two Harry Potter games. The first one covers years one through four, and the other one covered years five through seven so right now that we're, that we're playing the harry potter lego games as well Haley is basically experiencing the property in three different media so far we have watched the first six films in the lego games we are toward the end of order of the phoenix i mean actually it was a while before we got from from watching uh the goblet of fire again to watching order of the phoenix so i think i told her you know we had to watch order of the phoenix before she started year five, because I didn't necessarily want her getting the story through a Lego game. At the very least, either the, the book or the movie. And we're still a long way in the books. So right now, we're, at the, we're toward the end of Order of the Phoenix. We're probably just about to cross over into the Half-Blood Prince pretty soon. And as I record this, we are in the middle of uh, Chapter 4 of Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets. Now, I and I'd asked Haley recently, actually, if we were going to go back and watch the last two Harry Potter films. And she said once we, uh, you know, obviously the last two are the seventh book, Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows, split over two films. And she said once we finish that book. So there's uh, quite a bit of a ways to go before we get to that. Basically what we're doing is most nights I will read a chapter to her before bed. You know, most nights. It's not an every night thing. It's when she wants to. And she wants to on more nights than she doesn't. So there is that. You know, she's six years old and in first grade, so she's not necessarily ready to read these books on this level yet. So she's enjoying the story, and sometimes it's easy to see she gets confused with her knowledge from having seen the films. But also having seen the films is proving to be a benefit, in a way, because she has that visual reference where, you know, she could tell, even though she didn't see it in the book, there's that scene in uh, the book Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's... In America, it was released as a Sorcerer's Stone. And everywhere else, it's the Philosopher's Stone. But anyway, uh, in Diagon Alley, uh, Harry's getting fitted for his robes, I believe. And there's an encounter with Malfoy. It's not revealed to be Malfoy, but she could tell, and I could, just from the way the conversation went that you know, he was talking to Malfoy, even though the book didn't necessarily say it. 
But either way, uh, I think it's best that we uh, wait until after we're done with the books to finish uh, the final film because I I found that after watching Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone, after having read in the book, I got so much more out of the movie than before. You know, and I'm you know sitting on the floor of her room reading these books out loud, so it's even possible I'm getting more from hearing myself read it than it would be if I was just kind of you know reading through the pages at my at my own pace. I read in my head far faster than I read out loud. My brain moves faster than my mouth does, so I'm forced to slow down my reading to accommodate the fact that I'm reading out loud. So I think you know I'm reading it and hearing it, and she's getting an audiobook performance. So I think we're both getting more out of it than reading the books than we really do out of getting the films. Especially, you know, when, when we're reading the book, it's quiet in the house, it's almost bedtime, so it's only her and me. You know, as much as uh, we all love uh, the baby, she uh, she gets the way seven-month babies get, and it's sometimes hard to focus on a movie when she's uh, roaming around squawking and uh, doing what babies do. So, what I'm going to do in the next segment is I'm going to talk a little bit about uh, Harry Potter and the uh, Sorcerer's Stone, as it's called in America. Talk a little bit about the book, a little bit about the movie, and a little bit about our experience reading it. So, hang around, folks. I'm Captain Benjamin Sisko. Welcome to Deep Space Nine. Red alert! All crew members report to battle stations. Red alert. Shields up. What shields? You're Starfleet officers! Now start acting like it! Oh, it's just Garrett. Plain, simple, Garrett. Dax, we might have just discovered the first stable wormhole known to exist. The wormhole does bring them our way, doesn't it? Everyone wants a piece of the new frontier. This will shortly become a leading center of commerce and of scientific exploration. Starfleet, one of our most important posts. Quite a motley crew you've assembled here, Benji. Listen to the prophets, a Deep Space Nine podcast. Here are your hosts, Andrew Leyland and Paul Spataro. Bloody hell. Oh, I love a woman in uniform. Only on TwoTrueFreaks.com. All right, welcome back, folks. Uh, first, some uh, bookkeeping items on uh, Harry Potter and the uh, Philosopher's Stone which is what the name of the first book was, like I mentioned, in the UK and uh, basically everywhere else except uh, the United States. This book was officially released on the UK on June 26, 1997, and September 1st, 1998 in in America. Scholastic had bought the rights to the book from uh, at the Bologna Book Fair in uh, April of 1997 for $105,000, which was unusually high for a children's book at the time. And they changed the name of the book to Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone because the Scholastic Corporation thought a child would not want to read a book with the word philosopher in the title. And Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone is the title suggested by J.K. Rowling. So it's at least good that the author had some say in the title of her book, uh, despite the fact that a very misguided uh, publisher, which specializes in children's books. I mean, I get those... uh, scholastic book orders constantly from uh, Haley's school, and so there's that. You know, so it's just weird. Anyway, you know, like I said, you know, this book contains 17 chapters, so I believe it took Haley and I about a month to read through it before bedtime. You know, like I said, we didn't read it every night, but I don't remember exactly what the circumstances were upon her finding out that Harry Potter was a book, but 
At some point, she came to understand that, and it had been forever since I read to her. I mean, she's, uh, you know, she reads, you know, books on her level that she gets from school, and I always wanted to try the uh, John M. Wilson thing of reading his kids' comics at bedtime, but you know what? Harry Potter is not a bad substitute, I will say that. Especially since Haley doesn't really show the uh, interest in uh, comic books that uh, I have, so... She's showing interest in this, and I'm certainly not going to argue with her interest. And my favorite thing about this is that, you know, this is a fandom that we're sharing. One of the few. So, if it's something we can both share and, you know, get enjoyment and, you know, want to spend a little extra time together in this busy world, it's a bonus. I'm going to go with the uh, synopsis here, which I pulled off of Wikipedia. This is the uh, synopsis of the book, not the movie. 11-year-old Harry Potter has been living an ordinary life, constantly abused by his surly and cold aunt and uncle, Vernon and Petunia Dursley, and bullied by their spoiled son, Dudley. His life changes on the day of his 11th birthday when he receives a letter of acceptance into a Hogwarts school of witchcraft and wizardry, delivered by a half-giant named Rubius Hagrid, if the previous letters had been destroyed by Vernon and Petunia. Hagrid explains Harry's hidden past as the wizard son of James and Lily Potter, who are a wizard and witch respectively, and how they were murdered by the most evil and powerful dark wizard of all time, Lord Voldemort. You're right, Harry. Seemed very quiet. He killed my parents, didn't he? The one who gave me this. You know, Hagrid. I know you do. First, and understand this, Harry, because it's very important. Not all wizards are good. Some of them go bad. A few years ago, there was one wizard that went as bad as you can go. And his name was... His name was... Maybe she wrote it down. No, I can't spell it. All right. Voldemort. Voldemort? Shh. It was dark times, Harry. Dark times. Voldemort started to gather some followers brought him over to the dark side. Anyone that stood up to him ended up dead. Your parents fought against him, but nobody lived once he decided to kill him. Nobody, not one, except you. That ain't no ordinary cut on your forehead, Harry. A mark like that only comes from being touched by a curse and an evil curse at that. What happened to... to you know who? Well, some say he died. Codswallop, in my opinion. Nope. I reckon he's out there still. Too tired to carry on. But one thing's absolutely certain. Something about you stumped him that night. That's why you're famous. That's why everybody knows your name. You're the boy who lived. Hagrid introduces Harry to the wizarding world, bringing him to places filled with wonder and magic like Diagon Alley, a hidden London street where Harry purchases his pet owl, Hedwig, and various school supplies and Gringotts Wizarding Bank, where he uncovers a fortune left to him by his parents in his vault. There he is surprised to discover how famous he truly is among witches and wizards who refer to him as the boy who lived. 
A month later, Harry leaves the Dursleys home to catch the Hogwarts Express from King's Cross Railway Station's secret Hogwarts platform, nine and three quarters. On the train, he quickly befriends fellow first-year Ronald Weasley and Hermione Granger, whose snobbiness and affinity for spells initially causes the two boys to dislike her. There, Harry also makes an enemy of yet another first-year, Draco Malfoy, who shows prejudice against Hermione due to her being the daughter of muggles, a term used by wizards and witches to describe ordinary humans with no magical ability. Arriving at Hogwarts, the first years are assigned by the magical sorting hat to houses that best suit their personalities. The four houses being Gryffindor, Slytherin, Hufflepuff, and Ravenclaw. Now, a fun note about the uh, houses. The other night when Haley and I were going through Chapter 4 of Chamber of Secrets, she, uh, for some reason, the book kept mentioning uh, Hufflepuff House. She kept asking what, uh, what, what Hufflepuff was, and I told her it was one of the, the four houses, uh, in Hogwarts, and uh, compared it to Gryffindor and Slytherin, and she understood that. But, you know, it's a valid question, because so much of uh, what goes on in, in, the, in the movies and in the books that we've read so far is that you don't hear a lot about Ravenclaw and Hufflepuff. It's all very heavy on Gryffindor and Slytherin, especially Chamber of Secrets with the whole, all the air of Slytherin stuff. When I call your name, you will come forth. I shall place the sorting hat on your head and you will be sorted into your houses. Hermione Granger? Oh no. Okay, relax. Mental, that one. I'm telling you. Ah, right then. Mm, right. Okay. Gryffindor! <laughs> Slytherin! That's not a witch or wizard who went bad who wasn't in Slytherin. Susan Bones! <sighs> Harry, what is it? Where shall I Nothing. Nothing, I'm fine. Let's see. I know! Hufflepuff! Ronald Weasley! Ha! Another Weasley! I know just what to do with you! Gryffindor! Harry Potter? Difficult, very difficult. Plenty of courage, I see. Not a bad mind, either. There's talent, oh yes, and a thirst to prove yourself. But where to put you? Not Slytherin. Not Slytherin. Not Slytherin, eh? Are you sure? You could be great, you know. It's all here, in your head. 
And Slytherin will help you on the way to greatness. There's no doubt about that. No? Well, if you're sure, better be Gryffindor! As classes begin at Hogwarts, Harry discovers his innate talent for flying on broomsticks despite no prior experience and is recruited into his, house, into his house's Quidditch team, which is the uh, wizard's sport of choice. And he's on the team as a seeker, which is said to be the most difficult role. He also comes to a dislike the school's potions master, Severus Snape, who is also the head of Slytherin House, who acts as with bias in favor of members of his house, while perpetually looking for opportunities to fail Harry and his friends. Malfoy tricks Harry and Ron into a duel in the trophy room to get them out of their rooms at night, and secretly tells Filch where they will be. Hermione unintentionally is forced to come along after her attempts to stop them fail, and the fat lady has left her picture. Harry, Ron, and Hermione then find Neville asleep outside the common area because he had forgotten the password. When they arrive in the trophy room, Malfoy is not there, and Filch is already there looking for them. They run away and eventually run into a locked door that Hermione opens with a simple spell. This also causes the discovery of a huge three-headed dog standing guard over a trap door in a forbidden corridor by Harry, Ron, and Hermione and Neville. The peaceful school year is interrupted by the entrance of a troll into the, hi- into the school, which enters the girls' bathroom where Hermione was crying due to Ron saying she's a nightmare come true. However, she is saved by Harry and Ron, who arrive on time, and as a result, Hermione is grateful, and the three become best friends. Coupled with Snape's recent leg injury as well as behavior, the recent events prompt Harry, Hermione, and Ron to suspect him to be looking for a way to enter the trap door. Hermione forbids the boys from investigating for fear of expulsion, and instead makes Harry direct his attention to his first ever Quidditch game, where his broomstick begins to lose control and threatens to throw him off. This leads Hermione to suspect that Snape is jinxing Harry's broom due to his strange behavior during the match. After the excitement of winning the matches died down, Christmas approaches and Harry receives an, an invisibility cloak from an anonymous source claiming that the cloak belonged to Harry's father. Using the cloak to explore the school at night to investigate the possibility of what is under the trap door, he discovers the mirror of Erised. Back again, Harry? I see that you, like so many before you, have discovered the delights of the mirror of Erised. I trust by now you realize what it does. Let me give you a clue. The happiest man on earth would look into the mirror and see only himself, exactly as he is. So then it shows us what we want, whatever we want. Yes, and no. It shows us nothing more or less than the deepest and most desperate desires of our hearts. Now you, Harry, who have never known your family, you see them standing beside you. But remember this, Harry. This gives us neither knowledge or truth. Men have wasted away in front of it. That is why tomorrow it will be moved to a new home. And I must ask you not to go looking for it again. It does not do to dwell on dreams, Harry, and forget to live. A visit to Hagrid's cottage at the foot of the school leads the trio to find the newspaper report, stating that there had been an attempted robbery of a Gringotts vault, the same vault that Hagrid and Harry had visited, 
when Harry was getting his school items. Unbeknownst to Harry, Hagrid, under the instructions from Dumbledore, had gone to remove a small grubby bag while showing Harry around. A further indiscretion from Hagrid allowed them to work out the object under that trapdoor is the Sorcerer's Stone, which grants its user immortality as long as it's constantly used, as well as the ability to turn any metal into pure gold. Harry is also informed by a centaur named Ferenz. Harry Potter, you must leave. You are known to many creatures here. The forest is not safe at this time, especially for you. But what was that thing you saved me from? A monstrous creature. It is a terrible crime to slay a unicorn. Drinking the blood of a unicorn will keep you alive even if you are an inch from death, but at a terrible price. You have slain something so pure that from the moment the blood touches your lips, you will have a half-life, a cursed life. But who would choose such a life? Can you think of no one? Do you mean to say that thing that killed the unicorn that was drinking its blood, that was Voldemort? Do you know what is hidden in the school at this very moment, Mr. Potter? When the school's headmaster, Albus Dumbledore, is lured from Hogwarts under false pretenses, Harry, Hermione, and Ron fear that the theft is imminent and descend through the trapdoor themselves. They encounter a series of obstacles, each of which requires unique skills possessed by one of the three, and one of which requires Ron to sacrifice himself in a life-size game of wizard's chess. In the final room, Harry, now alone, finds Gwyneth Quirrell, the Defense Against the Dark Arts teacher, who had been, been the one working behind the scenes to kill Harry by first jinxing his broom. No. It can't be. Snape, he, he was the <laughs> Yes. He does seem the type, doesn't he? Well, next to him, who would suspect? Poor stuttering Professor Quirrell. But, but that day, during the Quidditch match, Snape tried to kill me. Mm, no, dear boy. I tried to kill you. And trust me, if Snape's cloak hadn't caught fire and broken my eye contact, I would have succeeded. Even with Snape muttering his little counter-curse. Snape was trying to save me. I knew you were a danger to me right from the off. Especially after Halloween. Th then, then you let the troll in. Very good, Potter, yes. Snape, unfortunately, wasn't fooled. While everyone else was running about the dungeon, he went to the third floor to head me off. He, of course, never trusted me again. He barely left me alone. But he doesn't understand. I'm never alone. Never. Now, what does this mirror do? I see what I desire. I see myself holding the stone. But how do I get it? Use the boy. Come here, Potter! Now!
What is it? What do you see? I, I'm shaking hands with Dumbledore. I, I've won the House Cup. Lies. Tell the truth. What do you see? Master, you are not strong enough. I have strength enough for this. possessed by Voldemort, whose face is spread on the back of Coral's head, but is constantly concealed by his oversized turban. Voldemort needs Harry's help to get past the final obstacle, the Mirror of Error said, forcing him to stand before the mirror and recognizes Harry's lack of greed for the stone and surreptitiously deposits it into his pocket. As Quirrell attempts to seize the stone and kill Harry, his flesh burns on contact with the boy's skin and Quirrell burns alive. Harry awakes in the school's infirmary, where Dumbledore explains his survival against Voldemort to be owed to his mother's sacrifice for him to live, leaving a powerful protective charm on Harry that lives in his blood, burning quarrel. Good afternoon, Harry. Ah, tokens from your admirers? Admirers? What happened down in the dungeons between you and Professor Quirrell is a complete secret. So, naturally, the whole school knows. See that your friend Ronald has saved you the trouble of opening your chocolate frogs. Ronald's here. Is he all right? What about Hermione? Fine. They're both just fine. But what happened to the stone? Relax, dear boy. The stone has been destroyed. My friend Nicholas and I have had a little chat and agreed it was best 
all around. But then Flamel, he'll die, won't he? He has enough Alexa to set his affairs in order. But yes, he will die. How is it I got the stone, sir? One minute I was staring in the mirror and the ah, next. You see, only a person who wanted to find the stone, find it, but not use it, would be able to get it. That is one of my more brilliant ideas. And between you and me, that is saying something. Does that mean, with the stone gone, that is, that Voldemort can never come back? Oh, I'm afraid. There are ways in which he can return. Harry, do you know why Professor Quirrell couldn't bear to have you touch him? It was because of your mother. She sacrificed herself for you. And that kind of act leaves a mark. Oh no, this kind of mark cannot be seen. It lives in your very skin. What is it? Ah, Bertie Botts, every flavor beans. I was most unfortunate in my youth to come across a vomit-flavored one. And since then, I'm afraid, I've lost my liking for them. But I think I could be safe with a nice toffee. Mmm, a lot. Earwax. While Quirrell was left to die by Voldemort and the stone has now been destroyed, the eventful school year ends at the final feast, during which Gryffindor wins the House Cup. Harry returns to Privet Drive for the summer, neglecting to tell them that the use of spells is forbidden by underage wizards, which is thus anticipating some fun and peace over the holidays. So, that's the uh, synopsis of the book. The movie is uh, directed by uh, Chris Columbus, produced by David Heyman, screenplay by Steve Cloves, Music was by the legendary John Williams. Cinematography by John Seal. It was edited by Richard Fr Francis Bruce. P production companies were Heyday Films and 1492 Pictures. Distributed by Warner Brothers Pictures, who we're having so much fun with these days as the uh, caretaker of the uh, DC Extended Universe of films. And the uh, film was released on November 4th, 2001. Running time was 152 minutes. Budget was $125 million and had a worldwide box office of $974.8 million. Now, the cast includes uh, Richard Harris as Albus Dumbledore, Maggie Smith as Professor McGonagall, Robbie Coltrane as Hagrid, Daniel Radcliffe as, ha as Harry Potter, Fiona Shaw as Aunt Petunia, Harry Melling as Dudley Dursley, Richard Griffiths was Uncle Vernon, Ian Hart was Professor Quirrell, Warwick Davis played the role of the Goblin Bank Teller and Professor Flitwick, Vern Troyer was Griphook. John Hurt was Mr. Ollivander. Richard Bremer was He Who Must Not Be Named. He was, uh, I guess, the voice and the face of Voldemort before Ralph Fiennes took over the role. Geraldine Somerville as Lily Potter. Julie Walters as Mrs. Weasley. Bonnie Wright as Ch Ginny Weasley, who had a very tiny role in the movie, and it's uh, kind of amazing amazing that they kept her along as uh, these films progressed. Chris Rankin was Percy Weasley. 
James Phelps was Fred Weasley. Oliver Phelps was George Weasley, so real-life twins there. And Rupert Grint was Ron Weasley. John Cleese was the Hogwarts house ghost, nearly headless Nick. David Bradley was Mr. Filch. And Alan Rickman was masterful as Professor Snape. Now, there were some differences uh, from the book. One was, and that's right off the bat, after Harry's birthday, and Hagrid tortures the uh, Dursleys and gets Harry's stuff from Diagon Alley in the book, Harry goes back to the Dursleys for a month and actually has to kind of beg uh, Uncle Vernon to take him to King's uh, Cross, St- Cross Station, uh, who really only does so be just to kind of laugh when the train doesn't show up for Harry. So I guess the joke was on him. And there, there was an encounter between Harry and, and Malfoy, in which Malfoy is not identified as like, any fitted for their robes. And the Midnight Duel is not in the film, and to be honest, I really didn't miss the uh, Midnight Duel in, in the film. What I did miss was the whole bit with uh, Hagrid's dragon, which there's one scene of it in the movie, and then it's kind of waved away by uh, one line of dialogue. There's a whole sequence in the book where the kids are trying to send the dragon away, and to me that just plays better in the book than it does in the movie. And one of the things that the... Uh, Having read the book now, and you know, like I said, I watched the, the movie the other night just to kind of see if I looked at it any differently, and I did. I noticed a lot that I hadn't noticed before. Like I have, so I have a deeper appreciation for the details in the film. Like for instance, you know, there are you know after the incident in the zoo at the beginning of the film, and between then and the time between then and when Harry starts getting his letters to go to Hogwarts, there's just one scene where you see uh, Dudley is all dressed up, and you know, I never even paid any mind to that before but having read the book and i was like you know what okay there is uh dudley in his smeltings uniform the private school that he goes to so there is uh the word smeltings is never mentioned at all in the movie but just catching more details because i read the book that the, the movie did use but you know just you know an additional treat for the people who read the book to be able to spot those details such as you know i didn't notice the injury to snape's leg or maybe i did just didn't really file it in my mind but there was the injury to Snape's leg, a major plot point, and I didn't even notice it watching the movies. So maybe I need to be a more observant movie watcher as I am book reader. And, you know, just you know, thinking about this, having read the book and uh, seeing the details in the film, kind of takes me back to uh, some recent uh, episodes of Trentus uh, Magnus' uh, Jab's Reality. And if Magnus is listening to this, I hope he doesn't think I'm taking a shot at him, because I'm not. Because I don't necessarily know if Magnus read the Lord of the Rings books. You know, just because he... I don't remember how he phrased this without going back and listening. One of the movies, the I think he, for the Fellowship of the Ring, he believed the extended edition was better. I believe he called Two Towers a Wash, and he was pretty clear that he felt Lord of the Rings, Return of the King, the theatrical cut was more was a better film than the extended cut. And for the most part, probably all of the theatrical cuts are better films than the theatrical cuts. I've been a pretty big proponent of the Lord of the Rings extended cuts. Mainly because, having read the book, I feel as though those extended cuts reward people who have read the books more so than they would reward people who have not. One of the things I'll point out in Fellowship of the Ring is, and I'll get to this way when I do a Manuscript at the Movies episode on uh, Fellowship, is that for a lot of the book, Boromir is harping on going to Minas Tirith. Going where they need to go via Minas Tirith. And that wasn't in the theatrical cut, but was restored for the extended edition. So it was nice to see that translate over. So the way I feel those extended cuts have rewarded people who read the book, 
I feel the work of the filmmaker is rewarding you for reading the book. You're not punished for not reading the books, but you definitely... The attention to detail rewards readers of the book. At least in this film that I've seen. Now, when I read the books, and, and they mentioned Nicholas Flamel, who was a Dumbledore seemingly immortal partner, it sounded like the first time I had heard the name. And one of the reasons I went back to watching the first film after reading the book with Haley was because I hadn't recognized the name of Nicholas Flamel. And I was wondering if it was mentioned in the movie. And it is. Quite prominently that I'm sh- surprised I missed it. Especially since Nicholas Flamel forged the Sorcerer's Stone. Am I sleeping through this movie? I mean, granted, I had only seen it twice. You know, I seen it the when I watched maybe three times. The two times that I watched it all those years ago, and maybe a year or so ago with Haley. So maybe I just need to watch them, watch more of these movies to uh, commit the details to memory. And maybe reading the books is going to uh, continue that. <clears throat> and speaking of the uh, Sorcerer's Stone turning things into gold, I have recently watched uh, the Librarian films that TNT put out. You know. Sometime about ten or so years ago, with uh, Noah Wiley, and in the third film, the main character of Carson Flynn obtained the uh, Philosopher's Stone, which turned things into gold. <clears throat> One of the things I really enjoyed in the book, and I thought I mentioned this a little bit beforehand, was the adventure to get rid of Hagrid's dragon Norbert, and they send it to uh, Ron's brother Charlie, who was studying dragons in Romania. Basically, what they do is they go to the top of the astronomy tower, and they meet a few of Charlie's friends to uh, take the dragon away. And they do successfully send the dragon off, but they're caught by Professor McGonagall, and the uh, the whole adventure kind of results in them losing 150 house points for Gryffindor. Now, in the movie, uh, you know, like I mentioned, Dumbledore just sends the dragon away, and the trio is docked 150 points merely for being out of bed, which seems kind of steep. You can understand them losing 150 points for the adventure in the Astronomy Tower, but not necessarily for just being awake. And also, you know, the, there's also the bit where Quirrell was feasting on the unicorn blood to bring back Voldemort it happened a lot later in the book than it does in the film. Now, so there are some differences, but reading, reading the book with Haley has definitely enriched my viewing of uh, the first film. I'm not sure how much detail I, I really want to go into the film itself, just because that could be a future Man of Screen at the Movies episode. But the point of this episode is really I want to talk about how I'm just enjoying the crap out of being able to share this fandom with my daughter. I'm not sure how many fandoms we're going to have in common. You know, I coach her in softball, which, but I'm not going to be able to do that forever. At some point, she's either going to stop playing softball or she's basically going to uh, reach a point where my amateur coaching is not going to help anymore. It's way too early to tell which it'll be, but there's going to be a time for that where I'm going to have to step back and let, let her do something else or let others coach her. But, you know... We're always going to be Harry Potter fans together, and I'm looking forward to seeing this uh, grow as time goes forward. Maybe one day when I can uh, see if I can get Haley on a recording, I'll have her talk about you know why she likes Harry Potter a little bit. I mean, she really likes Hermione Granger. I mean, Haley. I mean, Haley's a smart kid. You know, she's not as stuck up as uh, or as snobby as Hermione is, but she yeah, can have her moments. But I think really what gets her into Hermione is that. She likes the uh, the film Beauty and the Beast, which stars an adult Emma Watson as uh, Belle. So she makes that connection with her Hermione being Belle. So, you know, like I said, I'm really enjoying sharing uh, this particular fandom with my daughter. And, you know, we're talking about going back to Florida, going back to Disney World. Talking about skipping Universal just because we'd rather spend the time in Disney World. 
but I don't know, because it might be interesting to go back to uh, the Wizarding World of Harry Potter after Haley has uh, more Harry Potter f- knowledge under her belt and sh- she's read all the books and seen all the movies. You know, well, like I said, I don't necessarily know how far we're going to get with the books. You know, We're in Chapter 4 of Chamber of Secrets now. I hope we get through all seven. And I don't necessarily know if I'm going to report back in similar fashion after we finish the next book. Maybe, maybe not. We'll see what I have to say on the subject. But yeah, I just want to talk a little bit about some of my thoughts after having on Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone after having read the book. You know, Haley is not quite at a point yet where we can have, uh, she and I can have this conversation together. But so, therefore, I'm having it with you. Now, as far as next time on Man Screen Extra, I. As usual, don't have any plans for the next Man of Screen Extra, so just kind of keep your eye on the uh, Facebook feed and the Twitter page, and I'll uh, let you know. Now, in the meantime, if you want to join in on feedback, I didn't read any feedback uh, this episode because I'm going to and I or I'm going to run the feedback for Man of Screen Extra number 17 with the first episode of Man of Screen at the movies. So, but if you want to send feedback on this episode, manascreen at gmail.com. If you want to join the conversation over at the Facebook group, just put Manascreen Podcast in your search feed and the show should come up. Also find the show on Twitter at Manascreencast. So, till next time, folks. Have a good one. Take care. Bye. The Manascreen Podcast is produced by Mike Zemo. All opinions expressed on the show are those of Mike Zemo and his guests and no one else. All music and sound clips used on the show are for review purposes only and no copyright infringement is intended. All music and sound clips are copyright their original copyright owners. The Man of Screen is a member of the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network and can be found at www.twotruefreaks.com. If you shop at Amazon.com, please consider using the link at twotruefreaks.com to shop there. If you do, the Two True Freaks get a little cut of what you buy and it doesn't cost you anything extra so you can shop as usual and help out the two true freaks at the same time email to this show can be sent to manofscreen at gmail.com and you can also leave the show review on itunes that will help others find the show thank you for listening to the man of screen podcast